Just in case they're wondering They've got us pinned terribly They don't believe our love is real Cause they don't know how real love is You should know it's true If you were to ask Richard Raines, co-owner of Drive Through Records, what his current state of mind was on any given day of the week, he'd probably respond with the following. I'm so angry right now, I can't deal with it. But I will. It's not that he's got an anger management problem, it's just how this music fan turned record company owner vents about the current state of the music industry. Growing up in suburban New Jersey, by his senior year in high school, Richard Raines had already published his own fanzine and hosted a public access video show. Later, after moving to California to do a quick stint as a music video director, Richard, along with his sister Stephanie, started Drive Through Records in 1996, running it for good and for bad, as if a couple of fans were given the chance to run their own record company. They wanted it to be honest, upfront, and transparent, mainly because they were just two super fans who wanted to put out music by bands they loved, and with a corporate policy that was more about keeping it cool than a 32-page contract. This work philosophy resulted with Richard and Stephanie befriending and helping launch the careers of many of today's biggest acts, such as, well, get this list, Hello Goodbye, Dashboard Confessional, Less Than Jake, Early November, The Starting Line, Phoenix TX, Finch, Midtown, The Movie Life, Census Fail, Something Corporate, and Newfound Glory, amongst dozens of others. As is often discovered by young entrepreneurs, a business that's based more on trust than on smart business practices sooner or later gets into trouble. And by 1999, out of time and out of money, Drive Through Records signed a life-saving distribution contract with Geffen Records that ultimately resulted in some of the label's top acts being snatched away. The two have since come to regret teaming up with Geffen and are now vocal opponents of the current major label system. After the deal with Geffen ended in 2004, and on its own since then, Drive Through went about restructuring itself as a leaner and smarter record company. It has aggressively returned to becoming an incubator label for a new generation of trend-setting artists, much as it had in the past. There is no doubt that Drive Through Records, and Richard and Stephanie Raines for that matter, are true music industry survivors. Their love of music as fans is the ultimate driving force that keeps them excited and motivated each day. Recently, Newfound Glory, one of the most successful bands that they ever discovered, left Gefford Records and returned back home to Drive Through. I'm sure there was a party in the Drive Through offices that night. And now, our interview with Richard Raines. What do you see as the, the, the way the record companies, uh, how they, how they uh, uh, work now, how they, um, how they motivate themselves, what their strategies are now compared to when they, what they were like when you first got into the business? How has it changed? Um, I can talk about our label in general, yeah, but let's talk about, let's talk about indie labels first. And, and, and if you want to transfer that over into major labels as well, go ahead. Well, when we first started the label, obviously we had only a couple of bands and we would put everything into them and it started off almost like a hobby. It wasn't a real job. We just loved doing it. And, um, it just wound up taking so much of our time that it became a real job. And, um, and we could only put out a few bands at a time because we had no money and we couldn't afford to do it. And once one band broke even we can put out the next band but i mean there's a lot more to it where i'm not gonna get into details this is an hour-long show i can go <laughs> on and on and on but uh we were very creative with the money and you know i can tell you a little bit like we would have um well you had one credit card it was like, <laughs> we it had was... one credit card yeah but we would press the cd and um and we go to the cd plant we're like oh my god the show's tonight we need to get 100 for the show tonight and it's an emergency and can we you know get you know get this emergency 100 cds and then we give us 100 cds and we go and we sell them, use that money to pay for some more, some more of the CDs, and um, 
And um, but we we did a couple times, which is really it's lame. But we actually had to do this. But we would call them and say, you know, there's a problem with this and this and this in the artwork, or there's a problem with the CD was skipping, and they'd have to investigate it. And every investigation took a couple of weeks. We can actually sell more CDs to make enough money to pay for the thousand CDs that we pressed. <laughs> so we do that kind of stuff all the time, just to kind of delay paying. Um, so you know, back then it was like a struggle like that, and then we did our deal. Um, it was a few years, like three years later, I think, with Geffen or yeah, MCA at the time. Yeah, and um, we did that deal, and at that time it was kind of cool because you know we were coming from doing everything in our first, you know, starting in the dining room, and then we moved to the garage where there was it was it was hotter than your office. There's no air, <laughs> <laughs> and it is pretty hot up there right now. But um, we you know it was in a garage with no air conditioning. You're and no a freeze heat. baby, aren't you? You're yeah. a freeze baby. You like a cold? Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, I got there it. are office fights about that all the time. Right. Nobody wants to sleep in the hotel room with you, right? No. On the trips exactly. <laughs> Everyone complains. Yeah, it has to be freezing, and I have to get the TV on at night. But that's another whole story. Oh, okay, too. all right, right, okay, right. People, Cartoon Network, Cartoon Network. Right. Yeah, it has to be something to get my mind off things. Yeah, I don't blame you. But um, so anyway, so we did the deal with Geffen, and um, when we had that deal, you know, we went from like you know spending two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars on a band, and then we give us these giant budgets of you know thirty five thousand dollars, where to us that was huge. I mean, that was enormous, and and it was a huge help from where we were for sure. But you know, when you record a record, and you tour support, and I had to buy them a van and trailer and et cetera, et cetera. Thirty five thousand dollars doesn't go very far, but um, to us that was you know that was amazing. But what we would do is we'd sign any band that we loved, and we just absolutely loved their music. We would sign them. and didn't have to worry about it because it wasn't the money wasn't physically coming out of our pockets. The money was we always thought of it. You know, as, as Geffen's money, we had to pay it back. Obviously, out of you know we had to recoup and everything, but. We know we, it wasn't our money, so we can just sign whoever we loved and didn't care. Just didn't give a shit. We love this band. Let's sign them. They sell two records. Okay, they sell two million records. Awesome. You know, great. But you know, it was. You're still doing it from a fan perspective, <coughs> like here. Yeah, like, you know, absolutely. Because that's what you and your sister would do. You would go hang out at the shows, mm-hmm. you know, when you were growing up, and like you guys were mega fans. Oh yeah, from everything. Mega fans. Mega fans. We 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 had, we had some hotel rooms. I you think know, it's a comic book hero, actually. I think. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a pretty bad comic book. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, we wait outside of hotels to meet bands. You know, at, you know, we'd hours and hours in the cold, and and you know, we'd all sorts of stuff like that. So we definitely were mega fans, and we always actually kept that aesthetic to our label. We wanted to make sure that was part of our whole label. That when our bands were at that level or any level, that they always kept in touch with the fans. And when because we know what it was like to kind of wait and wait and wait for an autograph, and then the band just never showed up or blew you off. And we knew how that always worked, and the bands were always untouchable, and you can never get to them. I'm talking about bands that were playing even small clubs. You know, it was, it was definitely weird. It was a whole different scene back then. And we said, you know, this is the late 80s, late eighties, early nineties, right? Yeah, mid nineties, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it was, and it was just something that meant so much. It was one person was nice to us. It meant the world to us, and we never forgot it. And I have a million stories of that kind of stuff too. Like you know, Robert Robert Smith from The Cure did something that was the best thing that's ever happened, and I'll never forget. It. It's like twenty years later, I still haven't forgotten it. You know, one day I'll meet him again and thank him. You know, but um, I want to make sure that that fans got to have what we never had and which is great you know and, and we used to go to shows and like back when our label first started we saw someone wearing a drive through shirt we go up to them give them a backstage pass for this you know like oh we have a pass gonna come meet the band you know something like that if that ever happened to me when I was younger it'd be the coolest thing in the world you know so we still try to do as much as we possibly can it's, still, it's obviously gotten a little bigger it's a little harder but we make sure the bands are still in touch with the fans we make sure that there's lots of opportunities for everyone to meet them kids email us all the time oh I love whatever band you know, how can I meet them? Like, well, they'll be at the merch booth. They'll be hanging out. They'll be walking around. It's easy to meet them. And then I'll get a, a day or two later, I'll get an email like, oh, my God, I actually met them. They spoke to me, and they were so cool and took these pictures. And it means so much. And it's great that bands, you know, the whole scene has changed into that. And honestly, when we first started, when we first started a label, no bands were doing that. They are all backstage. And we tried to make sure that 
our bands changed that whole thing, and they did a lot. And then obviously, I think other people caught on also, and it just kind of became the norm. But it's completely opposite of the scene that I was growing up in. Is it? Is it? Do you still find that uh, with some of the bands that you work with that you still have to kind of train them? You know, because no, they, musicians are artists, and artists can be. Uh, they can be insular at times. Sometimes you have like outgoing artists that need that want to be loved, and then you have other artists that want to be left alone. Right. You know, and so it's like you get, but you somehow in order to get the press and to get on Leno and to get on MTV and stuff, but you got to get those left alone artists to kind of come out of their shell or at least find somebody in the, in the group that wants to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, do you do you kind of go through that process sometimes with some people? Ninety nine percent of our bands have no problem doing yeah. it, and then the other bands that don't mind doing it, they just don't kind of. They won't go out on purpose to do it, but if they're there, and of course they'll take pictures and do everything. But you know, there's certain, most of the bands will just go out to meet the fans and hang out with the fans and do all that kind of stuff and be very accessible. You know, it's and the ones that don't, I understand why. And it's not that like they hate it. You know, it's just that they play a show, they're you know on tour and they're tired all day and they want to sit down and and play a video game or watch a movie or do whatever they want to do. You know, I I can't. What you can't argue with them. But as you kind of said that, as you said so many times uh, in interviews in the past, where you said that, that the music industry is full of fake and phony people. Oh yeah, right. And, and is that kind of what what happens with some artists? Uh, do you think in general that that they just can't do the game? They can't go into the radio station and do the game and yeah. pretend that they're happy to be there at seven thirty in the morning. And yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Most of them, most of them don't care. But you know, there are bands that. You know, not only on our label bands that I know that, you know, they're doing an interview and they'd be on MTV at, you know, 8 in the morning the next day and they're bitching and complaining. I'm like, you know what? I knew you four years ago. You would have fucking done anything to be on MTV. And now you're bitching and complaining. Like, you know, like, I know a million bands will take your place. You know, what are you complaining about? And it drives me crazy when, pe when people get to that level or start thinking like that. So irritating. <laughs> It drives me crazy. So, but yeah. so we, so we did kind of answer like how things have changed. So oh, yeah, we're kind of well, yeah. saying, kinda well, saying that things well, have made become more fan friendly. Well, on that end of things, but the thing that's changed business wise is that obviously the you know the burning of CDs and then the sharing of CDs has gotten out of control, crazy now. And I don't even know what the ratio is. You think of a band like you know Panic in the Disco sold one and a half million records, and they're selling out venues that are way bigger. Then Green Day and and Blink were selling when they uh, selling out when they were sold six million records. So to think like fall, you know, band like that had to sell at least six million records. You know, if it was back in the day without people stealing it, and it's pretty gross to think that. And um, and kids just you know they don't care. Most kids don't care, and they just want to you know buy, get the free CD. And supposedly I'll go to the show and I'll buy the T-shirt if they even do that. But that's everyone's excuse. And like, oh, if I love a CD, I'll buy it. Which and when I ask people like that, I'm like, do you do that with every CD you love? Like, well, no, because I don't have enough money. But I'll do it with like one or two of them. And I'm so, so every two out of ten, they'll do it. It's like it's, it's so out of control. But now it's, and I knew it trickled down and and hurt everyone in the end, which it has. And um, I mean, it hurts the fan by you know if one of our bands is selling no records in in Cleveland, mm -hmm. right? They're not going to come here on tour. If they're selling no records, it's going to be rare that they're going to come here on tour because they know there's going to be two people at the shows, and it's a lot harder unless they're opening for a different band. So the kids in Cleveland who stole the CD don't get to see the band because no one thinks that anyone gives a shit about them in Cleveland. So that affects the fans in that way, plus there's less touring. And the way it affects the bands also is that all the labels are signing less bands, less advances, less support because no one can afford it. And not only that, the way it's always historically been is the band you know, makes their money from touring and the mechanical, you know, for writing the songs mm -hmm. and from... Um, and from playing their shows and from merchandise, and now labels are taking part of all that stuff. And 
labels have taken part of um, part of the songs for years. We never have. We were the last holdouts. We just wouldn't do it, and because so I just thought it was unfair. And now at this point, we just can't survive without doing it, and it sucks. And I hate doing it. I hate having to do it. And we haven't done it yet. But now every contract we sign from now on is going to have that. And uh, you have to share in all that stuff because if we're ra- waste not wasting, if we're investing <laughs> all this money. It almost is coming to a waste. It's like, okay, well, we're doing this and this and this, so the band gets bigger lives, so kids do go to the shows and buy the, the shirts and, and see the shows. But we don't make money from that, you know, in the past. And mm-hmm. so we're spending all this money putting the record out, recording the record, marketing so people know who the band is, so they do come to the shows, and then we don't get anything back. It's tough, and it sucks, and I hate doing it, and I hate having to do it, but we have no choice. It's is, like, is there anything within the system, the current system of... Uh uh, I, I've got a, a, I've got a, a, a question that I'd like to repeat, but with changing the noun out of it a little bit okay. uh, a couple of times. So one of the big headaches that you talked a lot of label executives, one of the big headaches that they still, even though they are sad for the loss of the chains like Tower mm-hmm. and so forth, um, one of the big things they wish they could change some practices in is the retail environment and how you market music to the retail environment. So if you were in charge of the entire retail environment, you could tell, you could control everything from Walmart down to what's left of the independent record stores. I think it's about 250, 300 quality independent Which record stores. Which is really sad. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's a chi- change of the times. Um, what would you do? If you could be in charge of the whole thing for one year. The well, retail? Yeah, what would you do? Well, make the, it- the problem is, okay, when kids are like, oh, I don't want to pay $16 for a CD that's fucked up, blah, blah, blah. Well, first of all, when you think of how the CD, the $16 breaks down, it's it's not quite what everyone thinks it is. You know, the band gets their money from a, a, you know from the CD. Uh, the, the distributor gets their money. The retail store has their markup. The label makes their markup. And it's like when you add all that together, it's like it's not that much. You know, the band makes a couple dollars from the CD. We make a few dollars from the CD. The retail makes a few dollars. The distributor makes a few dollars. And all of a sudden, you're at $16. And... Um, Selling a CD, you know, and that we when it, when the CD sells in stores for sixteen dollars, it wholesales for about eight dollars. So the retailer makes a big markup for sure, but they have to because they have to keep. If they don't make those kind of markups, they're not going to stock the CDs because then they can't survive as a store. So they have to do it. What are you What are you supposed to do? And then we have to make some money because we spend money for recording and, and promotion and mm-hmm. marketing, all that stuff. We spend all that money, so we have to make our money back. The band deserves to make money because it's their songs. The distributor gets the CDs and stores. They have to make their money. So it's like everyone has to make their money. I don't think anyone's getting anything un- unbelievably unfair. When you buy a, a designer shirt, not even a designer shirt, even like a skateboard company shirt that costs 60 bucks in stores, how much does that cost to make? Five bucks, six dollars? There's a huge market for that. Kids have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. They have no problem paying for, you know, Macbeth shoes and this and that. Like, it doesn't really matter as long as, you know, they don't care because they can't really steal it. And then with the, with the record companies, and it's always been like this, it's always too much money, too much money, it's unfair, I don't want to pay $20 for a CD. A CD that lasts a lifetime, mm-hmm. that not only can you have the physical CD, you can stick it in your car, you can put it on your iPod, you can do whatever with it, and it lasts forever. Music lasts forever, and hopefully, I mean, who knows if you like the band forever, but there are a lot of CDs that I have liked my entire life. But you're doing this one thing, and an investment lasts forever, and clothing's not going to last forever, the t-shirt's not going to last forever. The show that you're going to go see is not going to last forever. They have no problem paying for that. They have no problem with the mar- markup. They have no problem with the promoter and this one and that one making money. But it's always comes down to why the fuck is the label making money? They don't deserve to make money. It's too much. I'm being ripped off. Isn't there – I may play weird. devil's advocate a little bit just just to and for the CD, conversation. CDs are expensive. I'm going to have to agree with that too. Right, right. I mean, if, well, the, 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 it's, the, it's the FYE argument. You know, it's like I can go to um, – I can go on Amazon or I can go into Walmart. Mm-hmm. That's a better example. Walmart. I can go to Walmart and and buy a CD for nine ninety nine, 
and that same CD will be an FYE in the mall for eighteen ninety nine. Well, right, and the, the, so the, so that it comes down to you know, but but I think the new generation also understands that it's kind of like um, uh, Ford Motor Company is closing like one of the huge plants here in Cleveland, mm-hmm. and right now in a lot of the editorials and letters to the editor, there's not only they're blaming the overpaid. Uh, uh, with these, you know, the overpaid executives sitting up in Detroit and blaming them, uh, but they're also blaming the unions for demanding too much and you know not being negotiable and so forth and so on. So it's like it's it's almost like the younger generation realizes that yes, there was that they they know that upper level not you but upper level mm-hmm. management you know uh, executives in their opinion are, were getting paid way way too much and that when they go and somebody's asking them to pay an eighteen ninety nine CD for Halifax. That they're actually, uh, uh, you know, probably paying off Britney Spears's advance, and they don't like that. Right, which is which is the case with major labels. It's not the case with us because no one's above right. me and Stephanie are, are the top executives at our label because that's it. We're the owners, and we're not overpaid. I can guarantee you that. I promise you, no matter what you think, <laughs> I promise you, we are not overpaid in any way, shape, or form. I wish we were, but we weren't. But we're not. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can understand the argument, but at the same time, it's like it's. So how do we get? How do we retrain? Then, but just how, do you, how does your, that generation get retrained? Well, before right? we even get to that, let's talk about the eighteen ninety nine compared to the nine ninety nine CD. Okay. I mean, there when you want to get a CD in stores, so best we have a new whatever CD. We have one of our smaller bands, whatever okay. is going to come out. Self against City. Yeah. Okay. And we're like, we say we want we want to get the CD in Best Buy. Best Buy's like, uh, you know, we'll, the band's tiny and really unproven. You know, we'll take two hundred CDs. Two hundred CDs spread over how many stores? Hundreds and hundreds of stores. You're lucky if like half the stores even have one CD in stock. You know, so they say, well, you know, you can do that or you can pay $20,000 and for $20,000, we're going to take 5,000 CDs instead. So all the stores will have the stock and, and so like, okay, well, you're, we're, pu- you're buying your access. You're buying it. Yeah. So we have to pay $20,000 to get the CD in stores. Then if you want the CD on the end cap, when you first walk in the store, there's a whole display of all the CDs. Well, that's not free. That's what, $35,000, $40,000 for that. So you have to pay for that. For, if, for how long of a period is that, by the way? It's for um, it depends on the store, it depends on the program. It can be for uh, two two weeks to a month. Okay. You know, and then, and then on top of that, you want to have it on the circular. That's an extra whatever twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. You want to have it on sale. So when it's on sale for nine ninety nine, that's not yeah. best by saying you know what we'll cut our profit margin and you know we'll put it on sale and it's cool. That's not it. We have to pay for it to be on sale. So we're losing money and losing money and losing money and losing money to get the CDs in the stores and on top of that no one's going to the stores to buy the CDs because kids don't give a shit if it's 9.99 or 18.99 they're not going to buy it they're going to download it so it's like it's a lose lose for us and it's and it's it's sad it's like it's just you know what can we do i feel badly well first of all our CDs are not priced at 18.99 you know they used to be mm-hmm. 12.99 forever and now i think they're between 12.99 and and 14.99 14.98 whatever the number is we keep our CDs cheap because mm-hmm. we want kids to go and buy them. But right. even that, it doesn't matter. People still steal it nonstop. It's like, what else can I do? Can't sell them for $6. I'd love to sell them for $6. If I can make a $3 profit on a $6 CD and the man can make their money, fuck, I would do that in a second. It'd be awesome. You know? All right, so two questions. One is just so that those listening here can maybe learn a little bit more about the retail mm-hmm. environment from a label perspective. You were talking about the program, sometimes two weeks, sometimes a month. Like in the magazine world, we have the same thing. There's like, you know, Barnes & Noble programs usually run for two weeks. The Borders promotions usually run for a month. Right. Um, so for you, your best bang for your buck, what's the best program, best programs out there for you? Do you are they the best buy programs? Are they the, well, the thing target is, programs? It's, they... You have to even be accepted to the program. So that's not, it's not even right, a given. Right, right, So, so, so yeah, that uh, Self Against City wasn't accepted into the program. You know, the big program, which is on the end cap, which I love that. Because when you're in, the, when you walk into Best Buy, when I walk into Best Buy, 
always go to the end cap first, mm-hmm. see what's new, see what's out, and I buy some of that stuff for sure. So, but you have to be accepted to that program. And this, 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 we used to do this for years. We used to get this, you know, to get them to take CDs and stock, we'd have to pay whatever, 20 grand. And then we'd be in this weird, random fucking wire rack, randomly placed in the back of the store on wheels, and you would never even see this rack. It was so useless. But if we didn't do that, they would take 100 CDs in stock or a couple hundred CDs, but instead they'd take a few thousand CDs. So it's kind of, you have no choice. We had this stupid wire rack in the back of the store, and it just it just drove me crazy. And it's the most random, weird rack that you wouldn't even notice walking by it, like the junk rack. And um, But you have to do it, and you have to suck it up. And it's and so, you know, on from our perspective, it's tough. It's like I want the CDs in stores, and you want to do this stuff, and you have to do it because you have no choice if you want to do all this stuff. Or you just don't put in stores. But and is, as, there, is there any program that you prefer? Any store that you Best Buy? We sell the most CDs at Best Buy. I love shopping at Best Buy. I go there all the time. Right. I, I, if there's a vintage vinyl near me, because I grew up in New Jersey. Cons- I'm sorry, going at vintage vinyl. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. you know, when I was when I was really young, when I was in high school, me and Stephanie, we couldn't drive, and when even when we could drive, we had no car. I didn't have a car until I was 21, and that's another whole story. It lasted <laughs> for three days and then burned up on the road. Oh man! But um, what kind of car? A Toyota Camry. This was my my college graduation. My parents scraped together, I think, eight hundred dollars and bought me a Toyota Camry, and that was a huge amount of money for them because we were dirt poor. Uh, and yeah, uh, okay. I had it for two days, and we took it on, a, and it was it was having problems. We took it on a, to Amco, took it on a road test, it burned up on the road. They said it was our fault. I'm like, how the hell is it our fault? It was on a road test with you guys. Had to go to court, and we lost. Awesome, great. So it was another year before I got the car. But um, anyway, so we used to take a bus down to a store called Music in a different kitchen in New Brunswick, and. We just spend like we go there at least twice a week. Spend hours and hours and hours there. And she, the girl that on the store, Judy, would play us all these new bands, and we discover all these great bands, and we'd buy stuff. And um, Matt Pinfield used to go down there and hang out also. We met him when I, I was like 16, 17, 18, something. Like that. It was really I was, really, I was probably sixteen years old when I first met him. And he'd be down there, and we'd all hang out, and listen to music together, and it was fun. And like we've known Matt for all these years, and it's kind of funny whenever he introduces our bands, he just tells stories of what me and seven used to be like when we were younger. But um, but uh. It was cool and it was great, and those stores are amazing, and, and these stores don't really exist anymore. It's it's kids are missing out. So you have the internet, which is a different version of it, but it's not the same as you know someone whose musical taste you like, and they're coming in there saying, "Oh, this is a great band, this is a great band." You sit there and you hang out, and you listen to it. And I guess you know, like I said, the internet's replaced that in some way. Because your friends tell you about other bands on MySpace, which is the great part of the internet for sure. But um, then people don't buy it. That's the bad part, and that's you know. Well, let's 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 take the first music break right here. And actually, what you were talking about is a great lead-in into it. Okay. Um, let's go back to that time period where you used to hang out in that record store. And uh, give me two songs that take you back to that period that are like your two favorite songs from that from that. It's, what, that would have been like eight, late eighties, wouldn't it? Yeah, been? it was yeah. Matthew really nice. mid, yeah mid eighties. Mid eighties, okay. Yeah, right. some ancient. No, I saw my eyes. All right. Um, Mid '80s, probably listening to the Jesus and Mary Chain. It was one of my favorite bands back then. Any particular? Um, it was like off of Honey's Not Dead. Or yeah, whatever. it was. Yeah, it was off of. Uh, it wasn't. It was Psycho Candy. Now. Psycho Candy. Yes, yeah. right, right. Um, well, I thought the I thought Honey's that. Not Dead is later on. It's, like it's a later record. Yeah, right? yeah much yeah. later record. Psycho Candy was a great record. It's actually they just remastered it, put it back out. Again, yeah. Did they? yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhino did that. Yeah. I need to get that. I haven't done that yet. <sighs> but I love that band. And they did just a reunion also. At, uh, right, exactly. And I was out of town. I was so bummed out. I really wanted to see so that. So any song off well, of Actually, we were at the last show ever. They were playing House of Blues in L.A. And uh, they three songs into it, and the two, there are two brothers in the band. They got into a huge fight on stage. One of the brothers just threw his guitar at the other one and walked off stage. Supposedly got into a taxi and went home and, and went to England, and that was it. They were done. It was crazy. But um, 
from that Sometimes album. Sometimes it's better to be at the last show than at the reunion show. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know it, was, what I mean? it was cool. It was you know, fun. It was at least more interesting. It was definitely more interesting. I'm, I don't know. Just Like Honey is one of the singles. That's, I mean, Lee Trip Me Up is a great song. I listen to anything on that record. I love that record. Okay. So. And uh, give me a second band, second song. Um, you probably won't have it, so it's kind of thing a little uh, obscure. All right, you think you have well, it? Well, we could try it. It's called Mega City Four. First Mega City Four. Okay, first, you're right. First you pop punk band I ever got into. You guys were big fans of them. Loved the Mega City Four, and it was the first pop punk, and that kind of opened our eyes to the whole pop punk thing. And that was in what year was that? Eighty seven, eighty eight, something like that. Um, and then when we met Mega City Four, they were like, "Oh, there's this new band from LA called Green Day. You should check them out. They're really good." And that's when we first heard Green Day when uh, their EP was out, and it was called Mega. And they also talked about Screeching Weasel. Like Mega City Four introduced us to them. We didn't even know any of these bands. It was kind of we were so into the British bands, and the British bands taught us about the American bands that were happening at the time, and it's pretty cool. All right, well, this is good. Two good songs, two good bands. So uh, we'll be right back after this break.
Welcome back to the AP Podcast. Um, now, you just started talking about it before we got into the, the nostalgia bit uh, mm-hmm. for a second. And, and I have to ask this question. This is the second thing I was going to ask you. Okay, so the retail environment is... Yeah, by the way, did you realize we were going to these long tangents and you couldn't even get a question? In? That's good. I'm all <laughs> for it. Hey, you know, it's, it's actually... I prefer them that way because right. you can you, you, you come up with better questions actually as you go along. All right. Um, so the, the, the retail environment is very friendly. You got a ton of downloading out there. So it's it really the the problem is is that the previous business models within the music industry are quickly changing. Mm-hmm. And um, so how much longer uh, do you isn't it just a matter of we have to change the, the we have to change the way that we do the business now? And if that's true, then how much longer do you give the physical C D format? I don't know. People talk about it all the time that it's disappearing and I would hate that. I hate buying. I, I don't steal stuff. I buy everything and I buy CDs. I hate buying stuff on iTunes. I buy TV shows on iTunes to take on my iPod. If what, I'm, why not? I mean, isn't it the same thing though? If you're buying it on iTunes, I don't think it is. I like the CD. Why I like, not? I like having. Oh, the CD. just like having the yeah. hard copy. So I like having the hard copy. So okay. first of all, it's there forever. Second of all, in case my computer crashes or whatever, I always try to back stuff up and I never remember, but I try to. <laughs> But um, it's not the same. I just want to. I want the CD and the artwork and reading the artwork and reading the credits and looking at everything and having the CD in my hand and and uh, sticking it on the shelf or st- bringing in the cards. And it sounds better, too. I don't think it sounds as good on iTunes or whatever or on any of those MP3s. No, sure. Yeah, yeah. just sounds better. But it's would, just cooler to have. And But would you have a problem being a label, running a record company, and not actually putting out a physical CD but putting mm-hmm. out a digital that, format because you're cutting mm-hmm. out the entire retail thing? Well, we've first of all, we've done certain things like that with Logobuy's EP at first. It was only available. It was only It was free. And it was available online. It was a digital EP. And you downloaded a file and it had all the songs and the artwork and a music video, and that's how we actually broke the band. Um, and that was a long time ago. And, you know, we did um, a Socratic free CD recently, free EP, which is still available online. We're going to do one for, um, for Steel Train coming up. So I don't mind doing that kind of stuff. And as a matter of fact, we had um, we split drive through and changed it to drive through. We had a label called Rushmore for a yeah. while, and we signed a bunch of bands. And I'm not going to give into the story about the bands because, you know, just... But we'll talk about why Rushmore because there's there's the story I had read about Rushmore was it was actually created as a business strategy well, when everything was kind of going. That's called a, with, with yeah, the yeah 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 that's true. That's yeah. I can get into that whole thing. Okay, too. all right. So so why don't we but, but, continue but, your line but, of thought? Though, but what I was going to say is with Rushmore, what we did is so we kind of we dropped a bunch of the bands, cleared out the roster, um, we put Houston calls and stuff against City on Drive through slash Rushmore. And what we did is reinvented Rushmore, which we haven't even announced yet, which I guess now I'm announcing. It's been telling, I don't know when this is going to air, but um, it's going to be an all-digital label. And what it's going to be is um, save us all that hassle with retail and all those problems with retail. So we'll sell CDs super cheap. People can get them, go see the shows. The new deals with the bands are going to be where we can participate in the other stuff in a small amount this way. Fine, you know, cheap CDs, and then we can make some money back from the other stuff, and it's going to be worth it. And we figure is... Um, We'll press like a thousand copies of each of the CDs for the bands to sell on tour if people want a hard sure. copy of it. Yeah, and um and sell on our site and on the band site, but you know keep it really limited and um, for collectors and whoever likes that kind of thing. And then um, if a band starts getting really really big and we want to put CDs in stores, then it'll be drive through Rushmore release and it'll be in stores for either that CD or another CD or two CDs down the line, whatever it is. Um, and I think that would be you know a great great way for us to launch bands and and less pressure for us and the bands so we can develop more bands and sign more bands like that so that's that's our next plan that's something that we're going to we're going to announce do you, do you, I mean though as a as a business person doing it doing things a little bit differently than the way you've been doing them for 11 years has got to mm. be a little uneasy you, no. you've got to be sitting there no I don't you think don't, so, you don't question kind of going oh crap am I blowing it no 
I don't think so at all. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be cool. It's going to be different. It's so unique. it's less stressful. It's actually, you feel more confident about it maybe? Well, it's, you know, it's just like when you're putting out a CD, if we put out XYZ band, whatever it is, automatically, without all the recording and everything like that, you automatically have to spend, you know, 50000 60000 just on the retail stuff. And then the pressing of the CDs. And then if the CD doesn't sell, there's the whole return. So, you, can, you know, which I don't know if anyone understands how that whole thing works. Yeah, so Best Buy can take 5,000 CDs and only sell 100 of them. 4,900 return to you. And you have to take them back, and that's your loss. So now you have forty nine hundred CDs sitting in your your living room, which it used to be, or in, you know, in a warehouse, <laughs> whatever, the, whatever it is, and you're screwed. There's like five thousand CDs, and all that money you spent pressing the CDs. Not only did you spend pressing the CDs, and not only did you spend the money for the, distribu- the distributor because he got his fee anyway. Then you have to get the returns, and you get um, pay for the shipping for the returns. Then you have to pay not only have to pay for the shipping returns, you have to pay to have the CDs destroyed if you don't want them sitting in your living room. It's like it's ridiculous. The whole thing. So you have to spend so much extra money for the retail part of it. So, so the future would be looking brighter. Yeah, I think with this format. Absolutely, but you know, I think we'll see how that works. We'll see. I mean, if it it's works the same argument being made with the film, the film, uh, film industry is mm-hmm. that you're, you, if you cut out the uh, the exhibitors, then you're cutting out a huge chunk of really a part of the cost besides the marketing of it, I imagine, depending if it's a you know, special effects movie. But really, right. I mean, you're taking, you're getting the movie out there and get it printed and get it into the theaters and taking care of all the advertising and stuff like that is really a huge chunk of money. Huge chunk of money. And, and I did not know this, but you are actually a graduate of New York uh, University Film School. Yeah, NYU, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I paid that bill off a couple of years ago. <laughs> it's a nightmare. That thing was like a horrible cloud over my head for so many years. And it, it killed me to write that stupid check, too. Really? Yeah, I mean, just, yeah. Inter- I, I, when I when we started a label, you know, I had we had I had student loans, tons of student loans because we had no money, and we got some loans from my family members that had some money, but I still had to pay for ninety percent of school. So uh, I saw these bills, and and I couldn't afford it. Like my the payments were like fifteen hundred dollars a month just for the student loans, and I don't have fifteen hundred dollars a month. I don't care how much jobs I was, I was, I was working. I just had not that kind of money. So I delayed and had, you know, del- you had deferment and then another deferment. Then you had a hardship deferment and then another deferment. I deferred that stuff for so many years. <laughs> and then you're paying interest on, on top of it. So it's just getting bigger right, and bigger. Right, exactly, right. It's just delaying everything and making it worse. And then at one point I was like, oh, fuck. And I started to write a check. And it was horrible. Um, but yeah, NYU was cool. And I went to film school and film school was awesome. And I miss doing videos. I haven't done videos in a few years. Yeah, I actually want to talk about that Um, after the next music break. I want to talk to you about because I mean, obviously, you directed and you and with your sister produced a lot Mm -hmm. of key videos, and and in particular, and some most of them are actually on your label, um, except for a couple of them. But uh, the you've actually got a lot of experience with making music videos, and that whole industry is changing as well now. So, so I'd really like to get your opinion on that. But let's go back to the. the way that you're changing your business mm-hmm. and making it more digital, where are you with the digital rights management issue and what well, EMI has decided to do with making things just as you know, taking the block off of it with the iTunes and just making it an MP3 and maybe pricing it a little bit higher? How, what's your feeling about that? I don't even know about that. Oh, okay, all right. Um, well, I mean, basically, EMI came out and said that that uh, we will we'll make our catalog available to iTunes in a digital rights management free. Uh, uh, format, so there won't be a lock on it. It won't be that you only play on iTunes stuff, like which is what the major labels. Mm-hmm. It depends on who you talk to. Apple says, you know, the labels forced us, and the labels say Apple demanded it. You know, whatever. Uh, and uh, and so now anything you download, you pay a little bit more money for it in this format on iTunes, but that will play on any MP3 player. Right uh, now, and there 
there was a lot of talk that once EMI went that way, then everybody was going to say, well, will Warner and Universal go that way? Because that will cause this big wall barrier to be broken uh, with iTunes and, and the transfer of, of digital songs all over the place between players and so forth, so on. So um, there seems to be, it's like the iPhone discussion. It's mm -hmm. like, will the iPhone change everything? I'm getting one June 15th. <laughs> <laughs> you already ordered it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Um, so uh, that's kind of where I'm wondering, like where you're feeling about, uh, you know, copy protected MP3 formats and, and so forth. You know, uh, people are going to steal it anyway, and the people that feel that it's wrong to steal are going to buy it anyway. So I have no problem with it's protected or not protected. Hopefully, you know, one day kids will realize that what they're doing by stealing the stuff and maybe buy some stuff, or maybe when they grow older they'll buy stuff. But probably it's going to be the opposite because they're growing up realizing that it, or thinking it has no value, and that it's supposed to be free and. I don't know. It's kind of a losing argument. I don't even. I can't. I can't even bother anymore because it's. You can't convince anybody. It just doesn't matter. So, it's fine. I'll do it either way. I don't really care. And the good thing with us is that we can do whatever we want. I don't care what our distributor says. We still have the power to say fuck you, and we do it the way we want to do it, which we've always done and have for the last, you know, eleven years, and gotten too many fights over and say too bad. It's our right, label. If you don't right. own it. You can't do anything about it. Well, you've, you've as, as business people, you and Stephanie, um, have really been survivors. In the industry, I mean, you you really as it, like even from your beginnings and so forth, everything you've done, you've you've when when things really hit the fan, you found a way to survive and you made yeah, it work. It's and, been tough. You know, it's been tough, but it shows the amount of you know you've you've gotten the experience and you know, and it's just uh, it's I just kind of sometimes wonder like if if uh, the two of you have kind of become. Um, go-to people with uh, with up, upstart bands and managers and stuff like that to kind of like ask like how did you guys do it? How did you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have those kind of questions all the time. You know, it's it's hard to answer. It's kind of, I guess it's just kind of a values thing, just your attitude with stuff. And we've always thought, you know, our dad was an entrepreneur. Um, his business didn't do so well, but, you know, he always had that ethic. You know, he did it himself, and we kind of learned from that. But um, we just felt we've never sold part of our label, so we never had to compromise. And if we don't have to compromise, I'm not compromising. We do it the way we want to do it, period. And I think that it shows what the bands we've done, the things we've done in our whole history – and um, I don't think anything's ever changed. And until the day we sell half our label, I'd have to answer to somebody. I'm not going to answer to anybody. And when we do sell half our label, you know what? I'll have some money in the bank. I'll be happy, and uh, I'll answer to somebody. But until that day comes, I'm just going to stay the same way. Is there anybody, any band on your label right now that you've just got, you just see is like, is, I mean, let's, let's take out Hello Goodbye out of the equation, obviously, because this band's really... It's hit its stride right now. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and and early November, unfortunately, though they broke up, that record actually did really well for them. Yeah, and they charted very well. It was doing really well. So, is there any band that's like you that's coming up on your pike right now within your label's roster that you're like this this is gonna this is gonna be our next one? Well, the problem is also that well, not, uh, and I want to be play people. You have your play favorites off each other. Yeah, but, no. you know what I mean? The problem is kind of I got. We kind of always try to be ahead of the trend. We don't try to jump on a trend. We're always trying to do it before everyone else right. does it or something we just love. We're like, this is cool and it's different. And, and at first, everyone's like, what are you signing? This is sucks. It's terrible. And then all of a sudden, you know, six months later, they all love it, which is great. But, um, you know, this we started the Screamo thing, a lot of the Screamo thing early on with Finch and then with Census Fail. And then, you know, two or three years later, I was over it because it became, it wasn't what it used to be. I'm not going to even get into it because I can say things about that all day long but it just it didn't seem real to me anymore it didn't to seem, have like a third yeah, exactly. and fourth podcast exactly. just for that <laughs> it just didn't seem honest to me anymore so we were over that whole thing and then you know and we've recently you know over the last couple of years we signed a lot of bands that 
are not instant bands and not instantly catchy. You know, you have to listen to it three or four times and get into it and and give it the chance. And once you give it the chance, they're amazing bands. But those bands take a lot longer to break, which we knew going in, and I don't care. I have no problem doing that, but they're going to take a lot longer. Like Socratic's record is, I think, unbelievably great and different and unique, and the lyrics are amazing. But it's not instant. You can't listen to one song and say, I'm going to buy the Socratic record. And you can't listen to the record once and want to listen to it again. You have to listen to it three or four times, five times, six times maybe. And then it hits you and you're like, wow, this album is actually genius and it's great. And we signed a bunch of bands like the House of Fools, incredible, incredible live band. The record didn't come out as great as they are live. But you know what? It's a little great record. And But once again, it's different. And it's you know people have to either get it or see them live. Once you see them live, you'll definitely get it. Um, you know, Steel Train's first album was definitely not the way that they were supposed to go with that stuff. They kind of wanted to just play around with something. And then, then after they finished the record, they're like, oh, we want to do something different. And and uh, the new album's going to be incredible. The new album's going to be a lot more straightforward and a lot less jammy and live. They definitely have a little bit of jam, but it's not definitely not a jam band. And I know they got that a reputation, and they're incredible musicians. And the new stuff is just so incredible. It's it's awesome. Um, but it's, once again, it's not an, not an instant band. You have to see them live, or you have to give them a chance. And... Um, we have a bunch of bands like that. That's the thing. So it's, I can say House of Fools should be the biggest band on the planet because they're incredible and they should be playing stadiums and you see them live and you're like, holy shit, this band's amazing. No matter what kind of music you like, you're like, wow, because you hear, you know, you hear the Eagles and Beatles and Tom Petty and you hear some Muse and Radiohead and you hear, um, you know, all these different classic rock bands and some kind of more modern bands, but it's like their own style of it and they're Southern rock and it's just, they're incredible musicians and there's something different about it and it's really cool. But if you don't get it, you don't get it, you know? And and we signed a bunch of those bands. And the problem is, like I said, it takes a long time to break those bands. So I can say one of them could break out, you know, if people start getting it. And if not, then that's fine. We have bands like, I think Dan Malillo definitely started doing really well. And it's a great buzz. And he's played Bamboozle. And there's like, you know, 1,500 kids watching him. And, and, and that was great. And, like, you know, we have a bunch of bands like that that could be the next band. Who knows, you know? Um... He's recording his full length soon, so that might be it. I don't know until I hear it, and I can't really predict it. So you don't really get involved as as, as label heads. You don't get involved in the creative process of your bands, right? Oh, we definitely do. Yeah, oh, you do. Okay. But we don't. We don't like you know. But what's the? But what? In what way then? Is it kind of like? Well, uh, well, in the way that they send us a bunch of demos, and we're like, okay, these are amazing. Let's go record a record. You know, who do you want to work with? Blah blah blah. So as we send us demos, we're like. All right, these are not quite that great, and um, you know, it's like you have to say it in the nicest way, because you know, because it's their music and it's their love and it's their lives, and you have to kind of tell them that, yeah, the songs are cool, but it's not, there's not great songs. You're not ready to record a record yet, and everyone wants to do it, you know, tomorrow. But sometimes you have to make them wait. So with that end of things, I'll say stuff. Sometimes we'll give them some comments, you know, and and it's up to them whether they want to listen to them or not, um, and some suggestions. But um, we just basically we we won't let them go in the studio until they're ready. And when we think that they have 10 solid songs that we think are amazing songs, then we'll let them go in the studio and, you know, and we'll help them work with whatever producer they want, try to arrange that or or something that we can suggest and whoever works the best. And um, in this way, kind of, once we are confident that the songs are great and once we're confident that we, they have a really good producer, I'll let the bands do almost anything they want at that point because I know it's going to turn out great. you know. But letting them go in with half-assed songs is not going to happen. Um, we're not the kind of label to go get writers and producers that rewrite records. That's not what we've ever done, which seems to be the biggest trend in the industry right now, which is 
Another reason I hate the scene so much right now. There's so like much the film industry with screenwriters, right? Yeah, yeah but it's different. It's like rewrite music, the movie. But what a music! Like, why the music turn into that? It's like that used to be like Millie Vanilli, and people would hear, "Oh, Millie Vanilli didn't write their own songs," and they go burn the CDs, which is obviously corny. But they all got they were they were in an uproar. Now there's like six huge bands in the scene right now that I know for sure, a hundred percent, have co-writers on their songs, signed to major labels, put it on an indie label to make it look cool. It's like fake from top to bottom. And people are buying it, eating it up, and don't care. Is it because is, it hasn't been exposed like Millie Vanilli was? Um, I think some of it hasn't been exposed. They definitely try really, really hard to hide it. And some of it because people just don't care anymore, which is bizarre. It's like, I don't like fake. I can't listen to fake. I can't deal with fake. I don't like it. Never have. Are you like? Are you Are you a Pro Tools fan? Pro Tools isn't really fake. Pro Tools is playing around with, you know. Well, it's a fixer. It's a fixer, yeah. Pro Tools is different. Pro Tools is, you know. I'd rather be not use Pro Tools than have to, or whatever, you know, all the, all the, uh, all the, the uh, what's that thing called? That fixes the vocals. I mean, I'm blanking or out. Auto-tune. Auto-tune, exactly. Thank, Thank you, John. You. We love John Walsh. Thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> auto-tune is definitely, you know, if you can't sing, that's a problem. But if you had to use it once or twice on a record, okay, fine. You know, but usually you can hear it when someone uses it. Um, but that's so, totally so, different. So there's some inauthenticity in the, in the scene right now in some of these labels. Yeah. Apt a, li- a little bit of it, a lot of it. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's a lot of it, and that's why I can't stand it. And I, it turns me off so much, and I get so angry about it, and it's like I can't deal with it. It's so bizarre, and that's another thing that's changed in the scene that kids just don't care anymore. I, I do wonder, though, if it's because they don't know. You know, if the scandal hasn't been broken yet, and maybe it's you know uh, part of our fault in the press for not possibly looking into it. Well, know? I know that certain. I know that even like certain online magazines that are huge online uh, sites .dot net mm-hmm. would write something about it, and the second they wrote something about, it, they get a legal letter from Atlantic saying take that down, and they would take it down instead of posting the letter from Atlantic and saying look what we got, which is what I would do if I was that zine, you know. But uh, yeah. It's pretty funny, like how some certain people pick and choose what they want to expose and what they don't want to expose, and how scared they are of of, uh, of major labels. And I don't give a flying shit, you know. I would expose everything. Mm-hmm. I don't really care, you know. I'd love to expose everything, but then I <laughs> then I just seem like a bitter asshole, so I'm not going to. But uh, <laughs> I'm just an, I'm just annoyed personally. It's like that. It's just how the scenes become like that. It's just so weird. It's like, and I want to I want to actually want to. I thought about this before. I'm like, I want to start a sticker. Or, you know, like a, a logo that we put on the back of all our CDs and write like 100% real music, meaning the band wrote their own songs, recorded their own songs, no producer went in and rewrote stuff, there's no co-writers, all that other bullshit. And if that sticker's on the back of the CD, you know it's real music. And let everyone else start doing the same thing. If you have a real band, put that sticker on the back. And if you don't, you know, you're fucking phony. And then, then it's up to the kids if they want to buy it or not. Do you think that, that uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk that right now the... The underground or the pop punk scene or the warp tour scene or whatever you want to call this whole thing post punk post post punk scene whatever it is <laughs> mess of a scene right say right <laughs> um, uh, yeah very daily show on that one um, uh, like nobody really knows where it's going or yeah. what's going on and what's your what's before we take our next music break what do you what's your feelings on that like what's um, Oh, I don't really know either. Because like, you're actually on the cutting. You were saying like you were doing the screamo thing before it became big. You know, you were doing you know piano the, rock all with that something stuff, corporate, yeah. Yeah, and we exactly. were trying to do. We when we were putting out the dashboard confession. We put it on his first record, and everyone's like, "Why the hell are you putting on acoustic guy? That's so stupid." Blah blah blah, and and we were putting him on tour with Newfound Glory, Midtown, and and even him, Chris was like, "Is like I people are gonna boo and and throw shit at me?" And we're like, "No, they're gonna get it," and and they did. You mm-hmm. know, it's like we like doing that. I think it's more fun. It's fun to fuck with people. It's like here, here's something new. Here's something different. You know, 
and it's it's more it's more refreshing. I get bored so easily with that other stuff, you know. I can sign. I can literally tomorrow sign five screamo bands that are really talented for what they do, or five hardcore bands that are super talented for what they do. Um, take a vacation. Finally, take six months off. It will sell itself. No problem. Easy, easily. No problem. But I just not don't want to do it. So it's like I have respect for you know. You're people, choosing to be in the world you're in. Of course. But I, you're I make it. I make it tough for myself. You're happier. Yeah, yeah you're happier. You make it tough yeah. for yourself, but you're happier. Yeah. There are a couple of bands actually that we're signing soon that are kind of a lot more instant. You know, kind of like what we used to do. There's one band actually that we're signing that uh, reminds me of a bunch of old bands that we used to sign, but like kind of a modern version of it, which is which is kind of cool and it's gonna be fun. And um, I'm putting out the next newfound glory record, which is another thing. Which yeah, is that's kind of a like big thing. School. They they left the label. They left the major. Yeah, they finally came back to you. God damn, Geffen sucks. I'm so glad they got off that label. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for the end of the podcast. Yeah, the Geffen story. Yeah, uh, that nightmare. Could, yeah, no, I know, I know. So let's let's. I mean, part of the podcast is also to not only um, hopefully you know teach everybody a little bit about how the music industry is actually working where it's going but also to turn people on to new music so why don't you uh tell me two songs of two of your your baby growing bands right now that you would want uh our listeners to hear um how about socratic maybe turn was a pretty poppy catchy song and to house of fools which is you know i said one of the more like this both of these bands are not, not as instant but um a song like Live and Learn is pretty epic, like 70s epic, great, long songs. The guitar stuff at the end is awesome, and I love that song. So, And it, just so our listeners know, what are these two bands going to be doing during the summer? Will they be able to go see them live? Yeah, they're both, they're both sure. touring, yeah. Yeah? They're both touring, and um, I think um, House of Fools are out with uh, one of the guys from Underworld, this other band. Not, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, yeah. The Almost. What's the other one oh, called? Oh, Not The Almost? Okay, okay. All There's right. another band. I forgot what they're called. You know, these millions of bands that we get. I, okay, well, know. it's the other one. And they're okay, out with, the other one. They're, they're right. out with them. The other and, one, North Band, right? Yeah, and uh, which is kind of a weird combination, but I think it might be kind of cool because once again, like if you see House of Fools live, the guitar players are incredible. Yeah, and, I do hear their live show is yeah, amazing. Their live show is amazing, and, and and I think they might go over. We'll see. It's you know, the band wants something to just do whatever, and they'll see how it goes. But I think those, you know, that song is great. It's very it reminds me of like seventies epic, great long. Awesome songs. Uh, classic rock. Yeah. Well, there's something rock. about the new generation of, of music fans out there. They do appreciate their classic rock. Well, you hear in this in this band, you'll hear definitely in this song, you'll hear Eagles, a lot of Eagles and a little bit of Queen, some other stuff. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. get your parents on, on, the, on the headphones then, folks. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to the AP Podcast. Uh, we're here with Richard Rains uh, still, and uh, we're happy that he's still here because now we're, we're going to... Yeah, my ass is falling asleep on this stool. No, huh? It's, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, we, we, ne- next time we'll, we'll get a, we'll get a real comfy chair, there like a go. lounge chair like that's our parents what had. That's what I'm talking Lazy about. Lazy boy. Yeah. With the, the thing, yeah, Serve yeah. some drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little TV dinner tray, yeah. uh, tray right next to you. I'll have a, a virgin pina colada, please. <laughs> okay, there, there you go. All right, yeah. Um... So let's talk about um, the state of because of the fact that you directed a lot of your uh, your beginning bands that you signed a label. You directed a lot of those bands' videos. Yeah, did um, all, it wasn't just our bands, but um, well, you're right, exactly. Because um, Goldfinger, Goldfinger was on yeah, Goldfinger was on your label. No, no, it wasn't on our label. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the first videos I did. But you did Jimmy World, Starting Line, Lesson Jake, Something Corporate, Newfound Glory, Finch, Midtown, Bloodhound Gang, Bloodhound Gang. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. They're actually the first one I'm on here. Um, so. And this was, you know, late '90s at this point, early mm-hmm. 2000 period. Um, so, where, what's, uh, going back to my previous uh, line of questioning, if you were in charge of MTV and MTV2 and Fuse for one year, what would you do? Well, the problem is, like, you, there's the business side and there's the creative side. The creative side, I'd love to revamp everything and make it amazing and great. And the business side is you know, obviously a whole different story because you have to make money. But um, with those stations. It's understandable because okay, the whole the whole problem is the rock genre. The whole problem with the rock genre in general is that I can listen, listen to a radio station and brand new is on. I'm like awesome. And the next song is someone good or even decent, like awesome. Then all of a sudden they put on you know Nickelback. I'm changing the station. Then someone else is like cool Nickelback, chock 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 chock, and listening to this and like rocking out. And and then the next station is taking back Sunday. What's this pussy shit? And they'll turn it off. And then then the next song is it's like it just doesn't work. There's too many bands that just don't work with each other in the rock scene. Rap across the board, pretty much everyone likes the same kind of bands. R and B, same thing. Country, same thing. That's why all those stations work. That's why all those formats work. Rock doesn't work that way. Same thing with MTV. Yeah, you know they have they had specialty shows like 120 minutes. You want to watch indie rock? There you go. That's great. In the middle of the day, when it's you know, you see you know certain bands, certain videos, you, you turn it off in two seconds. You, I can't watch three videos. Well, they don't really play two or three videos in a row. But when they do, it's like I can't do it because I change the station because it's too annoying. And Fuse was sort of like that. They were actually playing a lot of good stuff for a while, but you know, you have to make money. And I guess that the viewership isn't as big. And MTV obviously makes a lot more money and get a lot more viewers from their TV shows. My sister, by the way, is obsessed with every MTV TV show. She'll sit in bed on Saturday for seven hours. My stuff, we're going to go out of this house. She's like watching the real world marathon and the real world versus road rules and this and date your mom and all that stuff. She loves this stuff. Um, I watch some of it, but not a lot of it's it. It's a voyeuristic society. Yeah, it right. is. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's how they make money. If I can do it and just not give a shit about the business end of things, it'd be awesome. And I would have shows, you know, that... You know, you watch it, you know, this program and that program, and you know you're going to get, like, Stevens on Title Rock Show and Fuse. You know what you're going to get on that show. Um, but they don't take many risks, you know, and I would take a lot more risks. I would have a lot more bands and a lot more underground bands, a lot more small bands do their own videos now. I meet bands all the time, like little tiny unsigned bands who do videos, and some of the videos are great, you know, and you're like, wow, that's really, really cool, and I wish I can play Thank it. Thank God and, for Macintosh. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we've right. talked about it a million times about doing a, a comp and having, like, a CD and then a DVD, and the DVD will have a ton of videos from these bands, and haven't gotten around to it yet, but it's definitely a plan that I want to do. Unfortunately, people aren't going to buy it because people don't buy music anymore. So, <laughs> if so, this was five years ago, I'd be doing that in a second. I'd be doing I'd, I'd be doing those every few months and helping out small bands nonstop, which is what we did. We did a pure volume comp once to help out a bunch of small bands, and you know, I wish we can do that more often. It just it costs so much money, and we don't make it back. And if I was breaking even, I can. That's fine. I don't care. I don't need to make money on this shit. I'm doing it to kind of help out the bands and. 
It's just that I don't want to lose tons of money every single time. It's just not fair. So can't really do that kind of stuff. So, so the fact that you were a video director and now you're a label owner, um, you, you can take a look at it from both sides. So for beginning video directors out there that mm-hmm. are trying to get the real packages together and stuff and doing stuff for the local bands or their friends of theirs and stuff like that, what would be your advice to them on how to, um, how to set up you know, like a storyline or, or the lighting or anything like, you know, like the basics, like, you know, the, you know, dude, this is what I would tell you to do with music videos. Well, it's just, it's about creativity. It's like, we've all seen the band meeting up one by one with their personalities, going to the venue and the show. It's like, we've all seen that stuff. We've all seen like both of those stories before. You have to be creative with, with a little bit of money. It's like cause most of these directors when you start off have no money. When I, the first like, 10 videos I did I got paid zero dollars for which is fine because you're, you're building your reel and getting to do this stuff I need to be a little more creative and, um, and it's hard to be creative with no money and especially back then when I was doing videos you know it was all on film and there was no digital video so it was even more expensive now with digital video you can shoot like I mean some of our bands have had three day shoots for like you know a $3,000 video I'm like how the hell did you do that you know what was your average budget on some of your earlier videos do you remember when I was directing yeah like um, with something, like the blood something corporate or blood gang even something corporate was probably around I don't know probably 20,000 um, but the problem was like I'd have to shoot that in a, I'd do a one day shoot so you do one day shoot 10 hour day because you couldn't afford the overtime for the crew and it's tough with film and everything like that. For that kind of money, it's really hard. And not only is it hard, it's hard to fit all that stuff into one one day shoot. Really, really tough. Because you know when you're doing film, it's the setups and the lighting take forever, and you can't control it. You know. And then I'd come, I'd come in, have a whole shot list, and I talk to the producer. I'm like, I want to do this and this, this. He's like, Yeah, those would be amazing shots. Except this one's going to take four hours to set up. This one's going to take two hours to set up. And it's like, okay, cut that one, cut that one, cut that one. And you're down with the bare bones, and you're like, okay, well. You're shooting the whole thing on a staircase. Yeah, it right? sucks. It's, I hate doing that. And that's why I stopped doing videos, honestly, because I couldn't do what I wanted to do with those budgets. And it's like, do I want to do hack videos, or do I want to do it the right way? And I don't want to do it the wrong way, so I just stopped doing them. And it's been years. Hmm. So um, now that there's digital video, which obviously they've had for a few years as well, you know, I'm a little... I just haven't like haven't gotten back into it. I'm planning to, and Logo Buy asked me to do their video more than once, and I was thinking about doing because I think it'd be kind of fun because they're fun to work with and they love acting and handing up for the camera. Um, but I'm sure I'm gonna do another video pr- eventually. But I'm also working on a uh, two TV show ideas, and I'm also working on a documentary, and I'm also working on uh, I've been writing a screenplay. So so films really never left your oh, blood. No way. It's always music and film. Two my two favorite things in life still. To this day, and that's why you know it was music and film in the beginning. That's why I want to turn into music videos, and that's why I turned into the label. Um, and it's still gonna be the same thing. It's like I can't give it up. I love those two things. I can watch movies all day long. I love movies and I love music. And um, and actually now I love TV because TV was terrible for years, and now it's great. There's a lot of really awesome shows on. So it's actually because it's they changed the way they're doing TV. It's like sitcoms are just so stupid, except for Seinfeld and a couple of them like that. But most of them are just so bad. But now they're just so well written and. And they get a lot more into detail, and that's what I like. That's why I was like documentaries and things like that, because you get into detail. But um, you know, even shows like you know, Prison Break or Lost, or you like all the backstories, and you get like a lot more into the characters. It's so much better than just a sitcom, and that's why I, I love those kind of shows. And it's it's interesting what, what can happen with that. And then we're definitely working. We have two friends who are producers on that '70s show, producers and, mm. and writers, and and they're working on some stuff. And then I pitch them an idea that they love, so maybe they hopefully can work with them on something. And there's all sorts of stuff. In, in the works, <laughs> right? No, and, and and to a certain extent, it's it, despite the downloading culture and the and the negative aspects of that, it's you know the the it's been stated that 
that the internet and technology, but primarily the internet, has really, it's, even though it has changed it in negative in some ways, it, it has opened up in so many more positive ways the ability for the average person who may be very talented to get exposed oh, yeah, either course. musically or you know th- that are filmmakers or yep. something like that because I, of the internet absolutely I tell it's bands taking all, out the gatekeepers yeah and i tell bands all the time 10 years ago if you wanted your music to be heard it was so much tougher than it is now and bands all the time say how come we're not signed how come this how come that and i say and i said i don't want to sound like an asshole i'm being completely honest and it's, you know it's from field of dreams the kevin the what's the name kevin costner movie mm-hmm. and i said if you build it they will come same sort of idea you write a great song Everyone's going to come. Everyone's going to hear it. Your fans, someone's going to hear it, play it for their friend, their friend, their friend, on and on and on and on. Everyone's going to start passing it around. Everyone's going to, you know, tell each other about it. It's going to catch on. I'm going to hear about it. Victory's going to hear about it. You know, Feel by Ron. Everyone's going to hear about it because we all hear about those kind of bands. So if they're great songs, everyone will know about it. It's that instant. There's no nothing else to it anymore. It's completely different than it was before. Makes it more competitive, though, as a label manager, because now if it is on the internet and they do have a MySpace page, well, that's or, yeah, that's know, the other weird thing. Bands and then now everybody, Victory's already knows right. about it. Vagrant knows about it. You know, Ramen knows about it. And they're signing bands that played zero shows or one or two shows. And it's like I'm not signing a band that has two songs online and two songs written, period, and play two shows and I'm signing them. I'm not doing that. That's not my thing. There are bands that are getting signed like that, you know, and I can name drop. But I'm not going to do that either. But it's weird. It's bizarre that that's like it's that fast now and that it's like that's kind of it's out of control ridiculous now but um but yeah honestly if you have a couple of great songs things are instant it's weird do you think in this day is in this day and age is it still the hook of course the hook is what makes a song yeah the hook the lyrics are really extremely important especially now um and and then just like the vibe of this it just has to click the right way it's like i put out records that i think are, are great that i love that i love every song and i think they're amazing and and sometimes they don't catch on. Or they catch on, but not as big as I thought they would catch on. Because you can't force someone to like something. I don't care. I know everyone, all kids seem to think, oh, if you shove it down their throat enough, and find something to a major label, they spend millions of dollars marketing, you shove it down people's throats, and blah, blah, blah. People are going to buy it. I'm like, but who's going to buy it? No one's that stupid. If I played you Creed over and over and over and over again, like it's on the radio, are you going to go buy the Creed record? No, well, they you're not did, because buy that's what the but not, was about. But, but not the kids that are saying that kind of stuff. All right, right, I understand. But you know what? Creed, no matter how much I don't like them, they have some catchy songs. I wouldn't buy it. I don't like it, but they're hooky, so you can see where it comes from. I can give you a thousand bands besides Creed that were shoved down people's throats that no one bought. I don't know if you remember, like, Shonen Knife, like, 100 years ago. <laughs> it started off indie. Oh, Shonen Knife are so cool, blah, blah, blah. They're so great. And MTV, like, nonstop, Shonen Knife, Shonen Knife. Video specials, blah blah blah. Every magazine cover, everything. The man sold two records because they fucking sucked. There's a hype band that sucked, and there's a million bands like that. And it's like, it doesn't matter. You can shove it down people's throat all you want. If you suck, you suck. And if people react, they buy it, or steal it, or whatever, and go to the shows. You said something that was very uh, interesting, and I agree with you completely. You said lyrics are more important now than ever before. Yeah, by far. What ca- was that? Just because of the emo thing? Um, because of Chris Graba no. and all that, where the, where the stories now, the songs became stories. Yeah. And and instead of just, hey, baby, well, Chris watch was, come down the street. Chris Graba was not the first one to do it, believe it well, or not. Well, I know. I understand. I know, I'm, sure I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying as much as like a crossover Absolutely. awareness to the general public crowd. I think, I'm yeah. not talking to the of underground. And his, his lyrics were know, great. That, that's why I put it the first record. As soon as I heard it, I'm like, this is amazing. It's like you hear a thousand guys and, and, their, and their acoustic guitar, and that's all he was at the time. There was no band. And you heard it, and you knew there's something special, and the lyrics are special, and the way he sang, and the phrasing, and every single thing about it just happened to work perfectly, and it was great. And he's really talented. And um, and actually, we didn't sign another acoustic act until Dave Malillo five years later. And we looked and looked and looked, and we just never found anyone that just grabbed us like that, you know. Um, 
because it's tough. It's tough to do that. Just it'd be just you and your guitar, and it has anything special about it. It's really hard. But yeah, the lyrics thing is absolutely even with Newfound Glory. Like you know, back then, pop punk was huge, and there's bands like Blink, who I f- love Blink, but you know their songs were kind of jokey. You know, especially back early on, mm-hmm. and um, and No Effects, who had lots of jokey songs. Sure. Like, and I love No Effects as well. Right. Exactly, and I loved all those bands. But Newfound Glory came out, and we're doing pop punk, but they had much more. Much more real lyrics, much cooler lyrics, much much more uh, a totally different kind of lyrics. They had a little hardcore breakdowns because they all were hardcore kids growing up, and Chad was in Shy Halud and all that stuff. Right. And they had, their, they had their little twist to it, and it was fucking great. And it was like one of the first bands that really had important lyrics in that kind of scene. Um, Taking back Sunday early on, like all those bands, it's just that's what made them great and brand new. It's like what well, those bands would not be what they are without those lyrics. They're amazing, amazing writers and definitely creative. I mean, brand new's first record is a pop punk record, but it just happened to be. The right lyric, the lyrics were amazing, and the just everything about it just just grabs you. Like, what makes that different than musically? Is it groundbreaking? No, maybe the second and third record were a lot more groundbreaking. Than the first record, but the first record's amazing because it's just everything just clicks, and, and and the lyrics were great. He's a genius. So let's talk about um, the Geffen story, mm-hmm. but I want to do. You, you don't know the, um, the time. I know, I know, Geffen's I know it all the time, but but <laughs> that's why I was actually going to. I wanted to talk about it in a different way, um, mm-hmm. because really the story has been told, and if, yeah. the, if the listeners go out online and they they type up your name, uh, and the the story will undoubtedly be somewhere in one of these interviews I'm about sure. everything that's gone down with it, but but. I think there's some key points in it. And the first key point was is that you needed to do you needed to do this distribution deal with Geffen at the time because it was MCA Geffen, right? Mm-hmm, MCA, uh, because yeah. you guys were broke. I mean, you really beyond broke. Yeah, I mean, it's like somebody was offering you some cash. It wasn't that you were selling out. It was just like yep. you again, survivor. You needed to survive, and, right, and this it was it was a great good way to do it. They were giving us some money. We didn't have to answer to anybody at mm-hmm. all. We can do whatever we wanted to right. do. They did, Same they thing. Creatively off of you, they couldn't because they didn't own our label. Mm-hmm. They didn't own one percent. They owned zero percent of our label, so we can do whatever the hell we wanted to. And that's what was really appealing to us. And um, and yeah, and that's why we did the deal. We were dirt poor. Our parents were dirt poor. We had no money. We couldn't do anything. We can. We were on food stamps, mm-hmm. and it was that's embarrassing. Right. We would go, you know, like three in the morning to the supermarket to buy stuff because we were so embarrassed, and that we had to do that stuff. And it was bad. And and then they came in. And they offered us this and some budgets. And we're like, actually, we can do right by the bands, which is great. And even Phoenix CX early on, they asked us to make tour posters. We couldn't afford to make tour posters. We had to make black and white photocopies at Staples and make, you know, a couple hundred of them. And uh, our friend happened to work at Kinko's. And when she, when she, you know, like after hours, we'd go and hang out and have uh, Kinko's parties with her. And, like, we'd be there seriously from, like, 2 in the morning until 6 in the morning when her shift was over. All night, used the computer to make free copies. And it's like, you know, did all that kind of stuff. And, and um and then when we got this offer, we're like, wow, we can actually we can actually get a salary, which our salary was horrible, whatever it was a salary. And, it was something. Yeah. yeah, it was something. And we actually got to hire one employee and uh and and whatever. It was a great opportunity, so we took it and, and So when was the first now that you look back on it as as you know, as uh, older, you're more experienced mm-hmm. now, you've been I mean, I've gone through the same thing and with AP, yeah, you learn. Course. You know, yeah. you make a fool out of yourself with something, or you find out you get screwed over on something. Like, next time I see that signal yep. from my, you know, supposed business partner, my supposed contractor, whatever, right. I'm going to know better. So, what was that signal looking back when you knew, like, this may not have been a good idea? There's a couple, there's a bunch of different things. One was is, it, was it really, yeah. you know, one is the label. Was it the attitude? Well, no. Well, first of all, Geffen. Any major label, anyone professional, me, you, anyone, mm-hmm. you know when somebody's kind of desperate. And if you're an asshole and you're, or, or a good businessman, which 
I can't operate as a good businessman and good and just in good conscience. I can't do it. But you know when someone's desperate and you know you can get them for cheap and you can know you can do this stuff. They knew we were desperate and they knew they can get us for cheap and they got it as cheap as they possibly could. So on a business end, yeah, they made a great deal for them. On a on a so they always knew at the at strategically they knew of course you need they needed you needed them more than they needed you right and now well not only that because like you've said earlier that we have you know we we tell it like it is and we're very honest with stuff and we're yeah. having conversations with them we're like yeah you know oh yeah we're working in a garage we have no money we can't afford this we're on food stamps so, you know we told them the story and I was thought you know you think that you're on a talking to someone on a personal level and being normal and in their heads they're thinking ding ding you know money we can you know we can get them for no money like they can barely take any money and we can. You know, and they'll jump at the opportunity because they're dirt poor. It's like, and they're right. And it sucks. And we were stupid. And yeah, that's one thing. So, and, uh. What would you do differently now? I mean, not now, but if you, knowing now what you knew, what you were going through then, what would you have done differently? Maybe how you were, how you interacted with them? I wouldn't tell them so much. Like when we have meetings now, we don't tell them, we don't tell anyone what's going on. They have no idea. You know, mm-hmm. you just keep, you keep things a lot more secret. Um. But, you know, it was that, and then we had a really bad lawyer who was paid off. And mm. I'm 100% convinced, not even 99% convinced he was paid off because he was getting a flat rate, and the flat rate was, you know, wasn't that great, but the contract took forever. So MCA said to us, like, oh, well, we'll pay your lawyer an extra $50,000, and it will be unrecoupable to you guys. Don't even worry about it just so he can get the deal done. You don't have to lose your lawyer because I know you guys can't afford it. And we're like, okay, cool. That's awesome. This lady's going to pay our legal bill. And all of a sudden, two days later, and our lawyer called us, like, the deal is at its end, and they're freaking out. And if you don't sign this deal, you're going to lose this deal, and there's nothing else. And you guys have to make a decision. And we're like, oh, shit. No more negotiating. Sign this deal. Done. You know, not that we, we didn't realize that he was paid off. And, and this seems to be a big practice in the music industry, which has happened a lot, which we found out about, which was pretty shocking. Because there's a band we, we wanted to sign five or six years ago. And their lawyer called up our lawyer and said, you want this deal done? Give, uh, add an extra $6,000 in legal fees. I'll get the deal done for you. And we're like, what the fuck? I cannot believe he just said that. And we called up the band. We're like, do you know what your lawyer just said to us? And they didn't believe us. Like, he would never do that, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, okay, well, he just did. He would never do that. So well, we said, you know what? If you're going to keep him as a lawyer, I'm not doing a deal with you. I'm not working with shady people like that. You shouldn't work with him either. And they decided to keep, keep him. They worked with him. They signed somewhere else. The band flopped years later, which mm. made me very happy. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, there's so many people like that in this industry, and it's weird. And there's so many people that prey on, like, these – Innocent bands just want to, like, get their band bigger, whatever it is. It's like, you know, these bullshit, like, international battle of the band contests. I don't know if you know about this yeah. thing. You have to pay $60 to get in, and you can get this. It's like they rip off people left and right. I meet bands all the time. Whenever I hear the word producing team or management team, run the other direction. Because 99% of those are bullshit, and they will just take your money and not do anything. They just take you and 10,000 other bands, hoping that one of you guys takes off on your own that they make a big commission from. So spontaneously, this is kind of like an advice thing, but one of them is don't tell, don't communicate everything that you're doing to your other side or yeah. to the people you're working that's with. A, don't tell them good, everything. That's a good strategy. That's number one. And number yeah. two seems to be a bit, don't trust everybody. Unfortunately. Don't don't go into everything being naive and bushy-eyed and, Unfortunately, uh, you know, there are wide-eyed very, and bushy-tailed. There are yeah. very, very, very few people, good people in this industry, like good-hearted people that won't take advantage of you. That's the unfortunate truth. We've been taken advantage of many, many, many times. You know, and it, and it sucks. And I've seen other bands being taken advantage of all the time. And it's, I feel badly for them. And I tell them that all the time. And and we try to be super fair with our bands and try to do stuff. And then it kills me. Like, that thing that kills me the most that we bend over backward to do that and be fair and be so generous. Then you read on, you know, some assholes on message boards saying, oh, her drive-thru does this and this and, and signs bands to 20-album deals. And it's like, 
shut the fuck up. We're like so like opposite of that. And that's what hurts me the most because we try so hard not to be those scumbags. I know for a fact we're not those scumbags. And when people accuse of that, that hurts. I don't care. You don't like our band, fine. You don't like this, mm-hmm. fine. You don't like our choices. I don't give a shit. But when you say that stuff, it's like, that's the stuff we don't do. And that's just like, it just, it makes me sick when I read that stuff. And I, I stop reading that and I don't even want to hear about it. And then when someone's like, oh, did you read what they said about you? An absolute punk. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. I just don't want to know. So the, the Geffen thing, going back to this again, just because I, there's probably more lessons here just briefly that we can learn, that the listeners can learn from it. Um, you, just so that so that we could kind of put it here on this on this podcast, so that uh, maybe while people are listening to this in the car or at school or whatever. But before you even get into this, before yeah, I forget, because yeah. I have a horrible memory, <laughs> the stuff that I was just saying about not reading the stuff on Absolute Punk and everything. Yeah, yeah. People always talk shit about your band, and for bands and whoever's doing this stuff and struggling hard, people always try to bring you down. Everyone's jealous. Everyone has their other agenda. Everyone wants to talk shit. Do not read it. Don't let it bother you. It's like one other piece of advice that's really, really important. I don't care if you're a band or a label or whatever the hell you're doing. Don't listen to it. It's so, it's so depressing, and it will bring you down. And you don't, you can't listen to it. Well, it's like having a local scene nationally. Yeah, it sucks. You know, you know the band locally makes it big, yeah. and everybody tears them down. No matter what you do, you yeah. can't make everyone happy. It's just you can't. So there's always someone, someone with a big mouth is going to talk shit. Just ignore it. You can't let that bother you. So anyway, sorry, back to no, your No, that's good. No, I'm glad you said that. It drives me nuts. And, no, because and, and it, when bands get depressed, or I'm like, shut. Who cares? And I actually let me tell you one quick story. And sure. I'll give the time. No, 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 it's fine. Um, Newfound Glory opening up for Blink 182 at some huge arena, 25,000 people. And Mark Hoppus used to play uh, bass with Newfound Glory on one song. So he goes out, he plays bass, he comes back, and he's all, he's, he's bummed out. We're like, what's the problem? He's like, this one hassle in the second row is giving me the finger, blah, blah, the whole thing, blah, blah. I'm like, Mark, there are 25,000 people here to see you, and so one asshole doesn't like your band. Who cares? So bummed out about it. And then later on, they played, and he comes back and says, oh, my God, that one asshole sing all of our songs. I'm like, which is funny, but the point is like, <laughs> 25,000 people want to see him and one asshole, the, you know, the, it's like bums him out. It's like, come on, you can't let that happen. And it's really hard to not let that happen, but you can't let it happen. So that was one thing, like, I never forgot that. And I tell our bands whenever they have a problem, like, I tell them that story. And, like, hopefully they get it. It's hard not to get bummed out, but. No, it is. It's it very is. hard. It's very hard. Um, so the Geffen thing. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. It's, good. it's all good. It's all good. Uh, so the Geffen thing, uh, um, just so that our listeners know, what what went wrong with that deal? What was the key? The, I mean, wrong. in a very short thing, what was the what was the key element that that kind of flipped the whole deal on the you whole thing that point? went wrong was and Geffen said it like everyone, all the top people at Geffen said it to us at one point. They said a label can make a deal where it's so much in the label's favor that it's screwing over the artist or the person, which would happen to me and Stephanie. And they said that the Geffen deal is so in their favor that it was unfair. And it's like you're talking about. At the time, we were selling, you know, we had three platinum, uh, three gold records and sold millions of copies, and we were getting paid, you know. That was tw- Newfound, that was. Yeah, multiple Newfound Glory records, and then, mm-hmm. you know, then some of the corporate selling hundreds of thousands, Finch right. selling hundreds of thousands, like all these bands. And, um, and we were having really good success, which was great. I mean, stuff, we were still happy, you know, we didn't really, anything was wrong with it. And then someone said to us, like, oh, do you realize, you know, how much money are you guys making? And we were like, uh, making $20,000 each. And he's like, are you serious? It's like, with three gold records and this and this, do you realize the lowest paid uh, A&R person at Geffen who has absolutely no success whatsoever, which he didn't, was getting 150000 I'm like, well, that's kind of fucked up. It's like, we're struggling because $20,000 is you're struggling, you know, minus taxes, all your expenses. You're really, really struggling. And then these guys are getting paid tons of money and they're taking all of our bands from us. Now, the deal was is that they could, they were, it wasn't just a, cure, a pure distribution deal that Geffen had with you where you would just no. get your stuff through the MCA distribution Yeah. Line. 
It was also the fact that if they... If it was pure distribution up to the fact that anytime they wanted, at any point they wanted, they can take a band from us, take the whole back catalog, take the future records they have under contract, do whatever the hell they want, and then leave us with the debt and um, give us a 5% override if the band ever made any money. But that was crossed. And that was after that. their little creative accounting practices. Correct. And it was crossed against everything we ever did. So all of our salaries and overhead and all of our other bands and everything else, like everything had to be made back first before we even saw that money, which... You know, we've been out of that deal for three years, and we still haven't seen a penny. Even when we were there, we never saw a penny. Yeah, so and like, in 2004. So now, right. eight years later, we haven't seen a penny from all those records. Six million records, we haven't seen a penny. So, obviously, there's some creative. Sound like a Motown artist. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like, <laughs> and I feel <laughs> for them. Trust me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Because then they sit down. I'm like, if we had a joint venture, we would have made this much money. I just want to shoot myself. It's like it's, it's depressing. But um, but yeah. So you know, it's. So that was the context of the deal. When we, and, 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 so yeah, so, and, we, so they, they were they were making all this, all these records were selling, but you were getting paid anything right, so for the, it because the, of the, the deal. That's that the whole set. thing is honestly, it's like me and Steffi were fucking happy. We were doing what we love doing. We loved right. doing this stuff, signing these bands. Everything was great. Everything was going great. We were getting paid these shitty salaries. We were, but we were making enough money. We were paying our mortgage. We bought a house. You know, we were we split a house. We couldn't afford it on our own, so we split something. And mm -hmm. and um, and we were do, everything was great. We were really really happy until that one person. It was uh, Luke Wood, who's AR at. at Oh and, yeah, sure. And we're friends with him, and he's you know, he says so to us that. As soon as he said that to us, we're like, "Holy shit, we're being really screwed." And it's like, and it's not fair. It's like, I don't expect huge anything. It's like I just want to be treated fairly. It's like we're struggling and struggling and struggling. You know, maybe they should give us a little more money. So we went to the president. He's like, "Yeah, you're right. We should definitely do something. Let's start talking about it." And then you know, and then from then on, it was like just negotiations. And then the negotiations weren't that great. And then he wanted us to sign for another five years. And I said, "Over my dead body, am I signing for another five years?" And and then he was fired, and then the new company came out, which was Geffen, and just took over. And we started negotiating with them, and we're like, you know what? It just—it was like we're like maybe we'll stay, and they were offering us all these things, and then then they took census foul from us. They picked them up, decided they don't want to take them, instead of giving them back to us, they gave it to Vagrant. That was the final straw. We're like, fuck this place. I will never. Did ever they do offer this. you first right of first refusal on census fail when you? We signed census fail. Right. We signed them to a you know full deal. They picked them up. Right. Decided there were no singles on the record. Decided not to release it. And then Jimmy Iovine, who was Which the record was that, by the way? Uh, Let it unfold you. Okay. So uh, Jimmy Iovine, who was the president of Interscope and mm -hmm. you know, huge in this industry, he had a meeting. He called us in for a meeting. We thought it was about the label negotiations. We were having these negotiations with them. Drove all the way over. We're like, oh, good. Maybe we can get this thing resolved finally. And he sits us down. He says, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to bring up census fail. We're like, okay. This is weird. He's like, you know, uh, we were thinking about giving them to Vagrant. You know, how would you guys feel about that? Because if you do that, we're going to give you, you know, Two hundred thousand dollars, and we're going to give you this. And we're going to give you more points. We're going to give you fifty percent royalty instead of your five percent royalty, like bribing us. He's like, uh, "Would you guys want to do that?" We said, "Fuck no! Why would we give up a band and give it to? I don't care if we make no money in this band. Why would we give up a band to another label? What's the point of that? We'll take them back. Well, we want to take them they back." They had a forty-nine percent interest in Vagrant, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, but they had a they had a much bigger interest if we kept them. You know, it's like because they could have taken them themselves. But I guess you know actually, financially, I mean, yeah, it makes more sense. I guess they were more or less keeping forty-nine percent of the band in their good point company. So I never even thought about that. But I, I just, I'm just, I'm so we just said, he's like, you know, I don't care what decision you make. You can say yes to you. You can say no. I don't really care. My memory is like an Etch-A-Sketch. I'm going to leave this meeting. I'm going to forget about it. We're like, okay, cool. He's like, have your lawyer call me tomorrow. We're like, all right. So we left the meeting. We're like, fuck them. No way. Why the fuck we do that? We want the band back. And next day, our lawyer called up and said, try this. said, no, they want to do the band. You know, thank you for the offer, but they want to keep the band. And then the day after that, he gave it to Vagrant anyway. And we're like, okay. 
fuck him, fuck this company. It's ridiculous. We're getting we're getting out of here. Now, this was how much longer before the end of the deal? That was this like happened? maybe like six months left. Six months because there was a, if you take a look at the 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 newspapers, the online fanzines and stuff from that time period, you were actually going out in your interviews at the time bashing oh, yeah, Geffen and FCA while you were still in this deal. That's so correct. Did that hurt you? No, that's why we were bashing them because of that. But did they? But did they not? But they did, nobody called you up and said, "You know what? I saw what you said in the LA Weekly about if you us, even knew, so f you, buddy." And what are they going to do? Good. Let yeah, us so go. In other words, the damage let us, was done. Let us go six months early. Fine. Good. What, what are they going to do? We didn't release anything for the last six months. We were actually the last year we were there. We didn't release anything because I don't want them to touch anything. That's why we originally did the logo by EP online for free. So Geffen, we didn't even fucking know about it. We kept it under their radar, and they were so fucking dumb they didn't even know what we were doing. And that's you know. And that's what we did. Like, that's why that's, it kind of hurt our label because we didn't release anything for the last year of that deal because we don't want Geffen to touch anything. And then we had to start Sanctuary, and then it took like six or eight months. You know, we had to negotiate that deal and then get something out. So it was almost two years to release almost nothing. And, and, and there was a lot of questions at the time from kids online, of course, yeah. saying, you know, right, there's, there's nothing new, there's nothing, there's nothing yeah. going on, there's no yeah. new advance. But you were purposely doing that because you didn't want to yeah. give anything to the MCA we were, scope Geffen situation, universal we were, deal. Correct. We were in a really, really, really shitty position. It's either... It's either keep putting stuff out and getting screwed more, or just hold back and deal with it. And Halifax sucks. And that's where Rushmore back. Records comes in. Yeah, that's well, that was that was the original plan. We were going to do Rushmore, and uh, you started a side imprint, right? We were going to have our we were, our friend was going to own it. He was going to put under his name. Okay. And we even said we were going to find the bands, and then saying, "Here, Chris, sign these bands, and 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 we'll help you with everything." You know. So we kept it out of the Geffen deal. Correct. That's what that was the plan. And, and wasn't then, the other, was and it then, also said that you were going to try and get your 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 own bands to transfer over to Rushmore? We were going to drop a couple of bands and have them sign over to Rushmore, but um, mm. you know we were going to do this whole thing, and then we're, and then we're like, okay, well, if we do that, we're turning to the scumbags that everyone in this fucking industry is, even though we're doing it for a real reason, and we're like, fuck, we can't do this. We'll get sued. We'll get screwed. Somehow we'll come back to us. We'll seem like we're shady that we're doing this stuff behind everyone's backs. We're not doing it. Forget it. And we just didn't do it. And then we just did, you know, years later we started rushing. Isn't more. there a point in business where you have to start getting down in the dirt with him? Yeah. I'm just curious. I mean, haven't just... done it yet. I'm, um, I'm, I, you know what? Honestly, someone comes and writes me a huge fucking check. Yeah. I'm not going to call it selling out because I don't think it's selling out, but I will sell half of our label and, and I'll be thrilled because, you know, I'll have some money in the bank and it'll give me even more freedom to sign whoever we want again. Right. I'd be psyched. I, I miss those days. It's like days. the Tim Burton kind of thing, right? It is. I'm, it, yeah. yeah. I'm, I miss those days. Do a couple of things to make some money and yep. go do what you love. Exactly what I want to do. And I'd love to do that. Like, you know, if a major label came in now and said, you will buy half your label and, and, and you can use our money to sign whatever band you want, I'd be fucking jumping up and down. I'd be like, cool. Now I can have the money in the bank. I don't have to worry about this anymore. And now I can sign whoever I want and, and I have the freedom to do it and not worry about it. I'm so down for that. When our deal is up with Sanctuary, I swear to God, it's the first thing we're doing. And we can put out the music we love and not worry about anything. I mean, we still put out music we love, but like you have to worry a lot more. With no worries, because honestly, you know, if they make money, we'll make money. And if, and if you know, they don't, they don't break even, we're going to have to recoup all the money. I don't give a shit if I have enough money to survive on, in the bank yeah. account. I don't care. I have fuck you money. That's what I need. I want some fuck you money, and then I can do whatever the hell I want. And that would be fun. And I love it. <laughs> um do you, I think that's and you, you actually have a distribution deal with Sanctuary right now, but yeah, Sanctuary yeah. that's a mess is, is going under, which sucks because originally Sanctuary was. So how is that going to affect your future? I mean, is it now it you're looking for another distribution deal? No, no it, it doesn't, doesn't. No, because we Sanctuary is a sub distributor. We actually go through Red. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Okay. So, 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 so everybody online, you don't, you can put those rumors correct. to rest. It's not the drive-through's not going under because not Sanctuary going under. is. Don't worry Absolutely about it. not. It's nothing. It's like they're just transferring everything over to Red, which they, which is which is Red, actually probably good for you. Actually. Well, yes and no. I mean, Red Red does the distribution anyway, and and the radio guy is great. And there are some great people over there. Um, there are some people at Sanctuary that have been 
fucking awesome to us and great people and it sucks they're fired and they should get new jobs because they're really, really talented. Mm-hmm. The old Sanctuary, the way it used to be, was a nightmare. They were releasing, like, there was a month, a September of two years ago, I think it was, they released 300 CDs in one month. And it's the shittiest stuff, like Venom Live and, and like, all this ridiculous, like, old shitty metal live. Yeah, they were, yeah, they were, yeah. Like, they were, yeah. It was a joke. And and then they actually... The rest- United Bands. So and they were signing a lot of Yeah, them. it was stupid. Yeah. And then they restructured and uh, they got rid of all the shitty staff, got a great staff, we have never been so happy in 11 years of working with people. We've never been happier. This staff is great. All nice people all know their shit. They actually, whenever we need them, they do stuff for us. And when we want to do our stuff on our own, which we do, you know, they don't bother us. And it's just great. And and it's awesome. And I wish they would stay. And, of course, as soon as we're happy, typical, as soon as we're happy, they all get fired. The, the past caught up with the label. It, oh, it's, yeah. The, debt, the past caught the up with the, picked up. Absolutely. But it just sucks. It's like the first time we're, fu- we're happy. I wouldn't leave. I wouldn't leave Sanctuary. If they were staying the way they are now, I wouldn't want to leave. So to kind of wrap this podcast up, this, this has been a great conversation. I really do appreciate you coming in and because just learned so much today. And also I think that the listeners will kind of, it will get a very good gauge as to what it's like to be a label president of an indie label right mm-hmm. now and everything you're going through. But it's tough. Considering mm-hmm. everything you've been through and you are a survivor, you and your sisters are survivors and you're doing it for the right reasons. You're not mm-hmm. in it for greed and so forth. Um, Don't get me wrong. I'd love to make money. No, I'm not. I'm saying that's a great bonus, but that's unfortunately that bonus hasn't come yet. But I have no problem with it. It's not. I get the feeling that if you could pay your bills and still put out good music on your terms, you'd be happy. Absolutely. I have to pay my bills and have money in the bank. You, you don't need great. the island in Tahiti or whatever it is. Right? That'd be nice bonus then. <laughs> okay, all right, well, I Trust take me, that back. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not claiming maximum rock and roll. Fuck this. No money. Blah, blah. I don't care. It's like, why not? If like, if I can do exactly what I'm doing right. and have money. Give me money. Awesome. I'd love it. I'd love to have a house in, in New York and London. It's like, that'd be amazing. That'd be great. So uh, considering it, you know, you're, you know, you're saying don't trust people in general in the industry. They're all fake well, and not, phony. Not, and blah, not blah, necessarily blah, blah. don't so, trust them. You, so have to, you have to question. Like, okay, the whole right. thing is, and our friend, our friend Lauren, is, uh, he's been an A&R guy. He's been in the industry forever. Super nice guy. And he always said, uh, it's all about the results, which is the best saying ever. It's like someone come up to you, hey, you know, I want to manage your band, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, cool. You know, someone's interested in our band. Say, well, who do you manage? Well, I manage band A, B, and C. Well, what is band A doing? We're talking to labels. Talking to labels doesn't mean shit. That's like a bullshit line. What is band B doing? Well, we're putting them on tour, blah, blah, blah. Like, first of all, managers aren't supposed to put bands on tour anyway, but whatever. So there's not, so no way. And what's band C doing? Blah, 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 blah. So you look at what are the results? There are no results. There are three bands he's managing doing absolutely fucking nothing. Why the hell do you want to be the fourth band? If, you know, <laughs> it's so stupid. It's like, what, like it, it doesn't make, that makes no sense to me. <laughs> oh, we want to sign you to our label. Like, what do you do for these bands? Nothing. It's like, if there are no results proven, why do you want to be with that company or that person? So that's something to always keep in mind. If there's nothing proven, then you might be trying to a really, really, really short deal with an easy out and give it a chance. Because when we had our label, we had nothing proven, ever, you know, originally. Um, or you have to be careful. You have to, you have to make sure it's the right person and, and make sure that you, it's the results, honestly. So, so here's the question, the final question for, for your future, the label's future, for music industry's future, your band's future. Are you optimistic? Well, the music's never going to go away. So, yeah, we're signing new deals. I told you, we're, we're going to we're gonna have to kind of change the way we do deals and the way we operate the label, which we can do. We can adapt. And like I said, we can do it creatively because we have the freedom because it's our label and we own it. So we can do that. We're definitely going to have to, we're working on adapting and figuring out which works the best and, and continue on doing like that. And, um, and hopefully that'll be great. You know, I hope it works. So that's a pseudo optimistic? I'm optimistic. Yeah. We're not going anywhere. All the fucking rumors of us going bankrupt and this and that. 
there was a point that was really bad, which really sucks off. So it was really, really bad, and we were getting screwed, and, and every asshole, like, they're going bankrupt, they're going to business, blah, blah, blah. It's like, thanks. Keep st- stabbing me in the back while we're fucking down, kicking me over down. It's like, it's, it was so lame. You know, it's like, and I, once again, I didn't want to hear it. Just, other people would tell me, third parties would tell me, like, shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear it. It's already depressing enough going through it. I don't want to hear more rumors about it. So, but the fact is, with all the rumors and all the shit we've been through, we're not going anywhere, and we're still not going anywhere, and it's not going to happen. Until someone writes us a fucking $100 million check, which is not going to happen either. So, <laughs> so Then I'll find you on that island of Tahiti that, ticket. Well, $100 million, Of course I'll <laughs> <laughs> But that, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much for yeah. coming in. And uh, I hope we can do this again in the future. And we yeah. can talk about some of the, the new bands that you got going. Yeah, there. I'd love to. All right, thank you. Thank you. AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Tenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP.